Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome back to another episode of what is sort of a, a multiverse, sort of sharing the space, uh, as you will. I'm Jordan Hill from the Junkyard Dogcast. Got another special guest this week. Uh, we are talking to you on Wednesday, and we've got Patrick Brown from Go Vols 247. Talking about nothing else but what's been the talk, kind of college football this entire week, getting ready for the 330 showdown in Athens between the Tennessee Volunteers and the Georgia Bulldogs. Just start off, Patrick, uh, how is this Wednesday treating you as we get a little bit closer um, to what's a really highly anticipated game on Saturday? Yeah, Jordan, it's, it's been a busy week. It's been uh, feels like a busy season. Uh, I guess uh, on the Tennessee end of things, I guess maybe we're used to this because this is like Tennessee's like sixth biggest game uh, of the year in terms of it seems like they've had one every week with uh, – I think we joke that the Florida game was like the game of the century. Then the Alabama game was like this in the end of the world kind of game. And then, uh, you know, they played Pitt. They played LSU. That was a big game down there in Baton Rouge, Kentucky. Um, they played, this is going to be their sixth game against a ranked team. So it seems like there's, uh, there's been a lot of these, but this is obviously an entirely different level and um, certainly so much uh, at stake for both these teams uh, over the final month of the season after this game. I feel like I'd be remiss not to ask you about Tuesday night. Tennessee finds out it is the number one team in the initial college football playoff rankings. What was their reaction? And then I want to ask, too, just covering this team, what's the season been like to this point to see this <laughs> Tennessee team in year two under Josh Heupel reach this kind of height? Well, I, I think I, I expected them to be number one. Um, they had the win against Alabama, which clearly the, the playoff committee loves Alabama for some reason. I ranked them ahead of TCU. I didn't quite get that one. Um, then they ranked LSU 10, which I don't I don't know if LSU is the 10th best team in the country. But um, those two wins, uh, the other three were, were top 25 wins at the time. Those, you know, Kentucky has three losses, Florida and Pittsburgh, I think now also have four losses. So. Um, those have lost a little bit of the luster, but I, I thought they would be number one if if they were going by body of work up to this point. Um, in terms of how 
the program reacted. It was interesting listening to uh, Josh Heupel after the, the rankings were revealed last night and also uh, on the SEC teleconference on Wednesday saying that, you know, he addressed this with the team. And it, it's something he's done throughout the season where he's, uh, you know, when they've had college game day come to, to Knoxville for the Florida game and then for the Alabama game, he said, guys, don't, you know, you know, block out the noise, but don't don't necessarily hide from it. You know, he's told his team to sort of embrace this sort of uh, journey they've been on and 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 appreciate it because they've worked to to create this uh, for themselves by how they they've won games and performed. So um, that was sort of the message that he got out on on the front end of saying, "Hey, the the rankings are coming out. We might be number one. Doesn't change anything. You still have to play. You still have to play the game on Saturday." So. Uh, and certainly George has been accustomed to, to being number one and, and dealing with those, you know, that kind of pressure and all that. So uh, from my standpoint, um, it's still kind of like been hard to wrap my mind around Tennessee being this good because Tennessee has been so bad for so long. Uh, cover a lot of bad football. I started full time, I think, in 2011. So I've I got the last two seasons of Derek Dooley, uh, all of Butch Jones, the, the rise and then the fall, um, the Jeremy Pruitt tenure and all that fallout. And, um, I, I think what this team and what this program has done is is all the more remarkable when you consider where they were just January of last year when, when Josh Heupel came in. You know, they had a 25, 30 guys in the transfer portal. The NCAA investigation was going on. They just come off a three-win season where they lost seven games by double digits. Um, and, and here they are now. It's when, when you look at it that way, it's it's pretty it's pretty amazing. And it's still kind of been hard to wrap my head around the fact that, you know, this game, Tizzy's put Tizzy's number one in the country. I mean, Last time they were, it was 1998. I think I was in the fifth grade. So now I'm in my mid-30s and have two kids. So it's uh, it's pretty wild. Life definitely comes at you fast. And yes. the, the, the people who listen to this may have heard me say this before. I grew up in North Georgia. I got a lot of family that's Tennessee fans and, and got a lot of friends who root for Tennessee. So it's always uh, interesting just to see how that program is doing and um, how it's going. And you talked about the rankings. It was really interesting on Wednesday, the, the coaches teleconference hearing Josh Heupel talk about it and hearing Kirby Smart talk about it. And I wrote about this this afternoon for anyone who's out there wants to go look at it on Dogs 247. It's it's kind of an interesting comparison between the two. You know, Kirby talks about it and, you know, Georgia has made the playoff at this point twice. And uh, they were also included in the initial rankings last year. I, I believe they might have been number one in that very initial ranking in 2021. And, yeah, he said, you know, we're used to it in the sense of this is nothing new. You know, we know how to handle this kind of attention. And then you look at Tennessee, very, very different situation. First time Tennessee has obviously been in the rankings, uh, be, been in the top four of the college football playoff ranking. Um, it, it's very interesting. You know, this has been uh, the, the one thing with Georgia that's always interesting with their rivalries. And, you know, some rivalries are a little stronger than others. But in the state of Georgia, it just kind of depends on where you are. And, and the people probably more from the area of the state that I grew up in, in North Georgia, a lot of people would probably say Tennessee. And then, you know, West Georgia is probably Auburn and then South Georgia, you know, Florida. People around Atlanta probably at a time would say Georgia Tech. But it's just really fascinating to see this rivalry because there have been some really, really good games over the years. And, uh, you know, I think it makes for what's going to be a, a really exciting atmosphere in Sanford Stadium on Saturday. Yeah, I heard, uh, I think it was Josh Pate, our, our national guy who, who does such a great job. He, he kind of talked about how Georgia, they don't get many games like this because all their home games are just expected to just roll. Um, and so to get a game of this magnitude, you know, what was the last time that, that Georgia hosted a, a game like this? I mean, they're playing the number one team. So um, 
maybe that Notre Dame game a few years ago uh, is one that maybe comes to mind. But um, it, it's interesting that that you know this is you wonder about the pressure of this game. Uh, I, I don't know that either team is going to really feel the pressure necessarily, just because. Um, and, and hopefully that leads to a game that can maybe deliver on on the hype that's going to be this week. But uh, you know, like I said, Georgia's you know they're the defending champions. You know when you're when you have that tag, you're you're the hunted. You know you're going to get team's best shot. You know you have to bring it every week. Um, and, and obviously they're going to be pretty jazzed up to get this. You know a big home game. We've seen what what Tennessee's done at, at Neyland Stadium this year with those three big games they've won there. <clears throat> and, and for Tennessee, like I said, they they've played in these big games so often this season that that um, they kind of just know how to how to prepare for them and, and know what to expect and, and know how to handle some of the ups and downs and ebbs and flows of, of games. And uh, I, I do think it starts with both the quarterbacks. Um, you know, both these guys are old, older guys. I think was Stetson Bennett's, what, 25, right? Yes. yes. Um, you know, he, he's been around. He's seen some things. Hendon Hooker's been around. He's 24. He's seen some things. So uh, he's pretty unflappable anyway, just sort of his uh, his demeanor anyway. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know that. You know, I, th- I think one of the questions I saw on our board was, would Georgia have any extra motivation because Tennessee's number one? And I'm like, if they needed any extra motivation for this game, they might have been in trouble anyway. But because uh, this is one of those games that if you can't get motivated for this, then I mean, what are you doing? So, um, but yeah, you know, the, the quarterbacks in this game and, and really, I think from Tennessee's standpoint, you know, Josh Heupel is a former player, former quarterback. He's, you know, he keeps things serious but loose uh is how i would sort of describe him and and he never seems like he's uh, he's sort of got that quarterback mentality where he's always sort of even keeled uh and i think that's helped tennessee manage the the schedule and and some of the highs of beating alabama and beating florida and then having to go on the road to lsu and you know the kentucky game was a trap game supposedly with georgia up next and so uh, hopefully both these teams being able to to handle some of the the magnitude of this game will, will lead to it. I know Tennessee had some jitters early in that Pittsburgh game. First quarter was probably their, their worst quarter of the season, um, but I think they they grew out of that and and that experience helped them. And I think they've maintained it and and certainly they'll need to all the poise they can get because uh, this is this is going to be one of those games. What, whatever Georgia fans think of, of Tennessee as a rival, um, that, that's going to be out the window because this game's going to mean so much for for both team seasons. You talked about the motivation, and I, and I think that is a situation where this doesn't necessarily add anything. But I wouldn't be surprised if Kirby Smart and those guys do mention, "Look, guys, you know." They, I wouldn't they be think, surprised either. They, they it's think, like what, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, a few years ago, Alabama was. Uh, I think Tennessee referred to them as the red team, and and they turned that into a. And this was when Tennessee was bad. Yeah, and they turned that into a, a motivational ploy, even though it was pretty harmless. Yeah, it's kind of like with Auburn earlier earlier this year, their starting center was saying, you know, we're going to go in there like a SWAT team and like come in and come out. And it was like, it's one of those situations. It's Don't poke the bear, right? Exactly, exactly. Uh, you mentioned some of those games. Obviously, Tennessee has, Tennessee has a great resume to this point in the season. But I, I'm kind of interested, not so much in that Alabama game. Obviously, that was a huge win. I mean, and to do that in Knoxville. But what do you, what do you think – you learned about this team winning at Pittsburgh and also winning at LSU. I mean, because it's going to be a situation on Saturday where, you know, they are dealing with crowd noise. They're going to be dealing with a hostile environment. It's not going to be quite as, uh, as comforting. I guess I could say if the, you know, if this game was a Neyland. 
Yeah, I think the Pittsburgh game, um, I think Pittsburgh did a good job of, of taking Tennessee's run game away. And so Hendon Hooker had to make a lot of plays in that game. And, um, you know, at one point, it, Pittsburgh was driving to go up 17 nothing late in the first quarter, and Tennessee got an interception and went down and scored. And then at that point, it was a new game. It was 10-7. to um, That stadium was not full. It was loud, but it wasn't full. Uh, I think Pittsburgh fans maybe got more up for the West Virginia game the week before because uh, that's a big rival, but a uh, big rivalry. But um, in the LSU game, you know, it was an eight, it was an 11 a.m. kickoff time down there, um, and, and Tennessee took the crowd out of that one early. Uh, they recovered a fumble on the opening kickoff, scored off that, got a long punt return after a three and out, um, turned that into a field goal, got a fourth down stop. I mean, it was 20 to nothing early in the second quarter in that game. So, um, and in both those games, Tennessee's defense played really well. So maybe they, maybe they play better on the road where they're not dealing with all the crowd noise where they can't hear and, and, and can communicate a little bit easier. Um, but yeah, in, in both those games, uh, I think LSU was the first game I thought, wow, this, this team actually was like really legitimately good because, you know, they may, may have been a little bit lucky to get away uh, with the win against Pittsburgh. Uh, Pittsburgh missed two field goals. There was a punt block that uh, they, you know, if they recover it and don't run out of bounds, it's a touchdown. That game went on into overtime. Tennessee's offense and, and special teams did everything they could to lose that game in the second half. Um, but LSU was probably before this past week their best performance all around of the season. Special teams, defense had three fourth down stops early in that game. So we're in the first half of that game that, that led to it being a, a blowout. So, um, yeah, the, in terms of the crowd noise, the way Tennessee plays on offense, the tempo um, can sometimes negate some of that. Now, when they're not going fast, you know, before third downs, they'll slow it down and, and do some check with me stuff and get calls from the sideline. Um, Hendon Hooker will, will do some, some pre-snap checks and stuff, but, um, they, they generally, you know, their tempo is sort of a well-oiled machine and, and sometimes it can, it can take the crowd a little bit out of a game, but the best way to take a crowd out of a game is, is to do what they did against LSU, which is get up early and, and keep the foot down. With this matchup, you know, I, I'm really interested in, in just how both teams start. You know, I was struck, I, I went back and watched a little bit of that Alabama game and, and they had a really, really interesting stat on CBS and it was just how good Tennessee has been in the first quarter on offense. they get off to such good starts, they score points. Uh, how much has that been a staple of what Tennessee's been able to do? I guess more this year than any. Um, the fact that they've been able to to be productive on offense and to take advantage of early possession. I think that's a Josh Heupel thing because his first quarter scoring stats are, are pretty good, even going back to UCF and, and Tennessee. I think had the best. They might have been the Tennessee and Georgia might have been the top two scoring teams and terms of points and differential in the first quarter last season um so uh, they've been good at starting games i think some of the tempo you know you prepare for it but until you like play against it as a defense and see what it's really like and get the operation from getting a call to the sideline finishing the play getting back to your spot as a player the coaches getting used to you know kind of having to be a play ahead in terms of what they're going to call um it, it takes a it, it may take a a possession or two or a series or two to get used to that from from a defensive standpoint um tennessee was really good in the first quarter last year they were not good in the second quarter that was their worst scoring quarter in terms of differential so uh, maybe that was a reflection of, of teams picking up on that tempo maybe settling in a little bit um, but they've been really good i think they've been better in the second quarter in terms of the scoring numbers than, than they have in the first quarter this season so uh, they're able to sustain a little bit more and um frankly they're scoring in every quarter right now so um, but something I do think this Tennessee team has done is th they've started games well, but they've kept going. And, and even when they have gotten behind or 
um, you know, had to, had adversity or, or sort of made some mistakes. They played through them. Um, and as some I kind of mentioned earlier, they, they just kind of keep their poise. They're kind of, it's hard to rattle them. Um, and I think that starts with Josh Heupel. I think it starts with Hennon Hooker. Um, you know, Florida was up 10-7. Florida was up 14-10. Uh, Alabama had the fumble return, you know, to go up, I think, 49-42 in that game. That game kind of it, it was a blur for a lot of the second half. But, um, you know, it, I, I think the start to this game could be important because, you know, Georgia's really only, really only had to play behind once this season. That was at Missouri. Um, and, and that's a team that struggles to score. If they get behind two scores on Tennessee who can keep scoring and keep going, you know, how does Georgia respond if that's the case? And uh, if Georgia gets up early and, and makes some stops early, can Tennessee continue to show that ability uh, to play through um, and, and do that on the road where this is obviously going to be their most hostile environment they've played, this, played in this season? Yeah, it's pretty wild looking at some of Tennessee's statistics this year. They're like fifth worst in the country in time of possession. I guess I should say fifth worst <laughs> with uh, uh, uh you know, quotation marks around it because they're the leading team in scoring. They're, they got yeah, the top they don't they them. don't care how long it takes. They just no. want to throw points. No, taking full advantage for sure. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. Come right back. Talk about some of the players on each side we're interested in. Some of the matchups and and also give our predictions of what we think we'll see on Saturday. Introducing the Two Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome back, everybody. Well, yeah, Patrick, for this part of the episode, I figured we could kind of um, go back and forth, talk about you know some of the players that interest us, some of the matchups. And I'll start with you, Patrick. Is there a group, uh, maybe even a specific player, uh, that you have questions about or are really interested in on the Georgia side and uh, I'll see what I can do to, to sort of give you the feel of, of about that player or that position group going into Saturday. Uh, I think it, it, as weird as it sounds, I might have to start tied in with Georgia, right? Because, I mean, Brock Bowers is a freak of nature, and Darnell Washington looks like a guy that you uh, would would create on NCAA football back in the day where you make him like 6'10", dark visor. He's <laughs> just, you know, 99, everything, speed, strength, all that stuff. Um, and that's something that certainly Tennessee's talked about this week too. So uh, how, do, how does Georgia use those guys and, and how do they stress defenses with those, those two uh, specimens that they have? To me, this is going to be the matchup to watch. I mean, to me, if Georgia gets the tight ends going, I, I think they do have a chance of beating what I think is a very good Tennessee team. You know, everybody came in the year, knew about Brock Bowers. A lot of people kind of felt like he should have won the Mackey award last year, had, definitely had a great argument for it and uh, he's come through and, and had another excellent season and then you know I think the breakthrough player or at least one of the breakthrough players for Georgia this year has been Darnell Washington 
And he's a guy that kind of got put behind the eight ball in spring practice. He's a guy that, um, after the fact, Kirby Smart told us he came in just before spring in the best shape he had been in uh, during his time at Georgia. Hurt his foot, wasn't able to play during spring, and you sort of thought that he might have might be falling behind. Eric Gilbert had an excellent spring, and it sort of seemed like those two would kind of take the lead, uh, him and uh, Brock Bowers. And then Darnell just came on as soon as fall camp got started and really hasn't let up. And I can't get over the, the game he had against Vanderbilt. Uh, he had a couple really good catches. He had one catch, Patrick. I, you know, as hard as it is to believe, sometimes Stetson Bennett does overthrow a six foot seven guy, and 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 Stetson kind of led him a little too far, and Darnell reaches out and like gets like palms the ball, and it looks like a kid uh, catching a Nerf football. I mean, just did it with one hand, just didn't break stride. He's been hurdling guys since the Oregon game. Um, the the fact they have both those guys, um, it's definitely been very beneficial. I think. Uh, in these last few games because A.D. Mitchell, who would have definitely been Georgia's number one receiver, he's been out. Um, he's played maybe four snaps since week two. He's been dealing with an ankle injury and, and really had trouble coming back from a high ankle sprain. And they've done such a good job with the tight ends, not only getting them the ball, letting them make plays because there's such mismatches on whoever you try to cover them with. Uh, but they are excellent blockers. There was a touchdown in that Florida game on Saturday and it, it was at a point in the game where Florida had cut it to eight. And, you know, sitting there in the press box, you're kind of going, this game's not over. You know, this is a game that Georgia led by 25. And you're like, Florida clearly has the momentum. Uh, Brock Bowers does an excellent job of, of pulling out to get into the middle to block for Dejon Edwards. And Dejon Edwards kind of follows in Brock Bowers' footsteps and takes off and, and scores a touchdown that essentially put the game away and, and made sure Georgia hold, held on to that one. These tight ends, both of them, very willing blockers, do an excellent job in that area of the game. And uh, I, I think we're going to see offensive coordinator Todd Munkin make a concerted effort to get them the ball a lot against a Tennessee team that, you know, it seems like if you're going to put your finger on something and say this is the weakness, um, it's just been in the passing game trying to stop the pass, uh, trying to stop these opposing offenses. Yeah, that, their matchup nightmares for everybody. Uh, Tennessee's. Uh, safeties aren't aren't great in coverage, um, uh, and, and they may not be great in coverage this game, and, and not be any of any fault of their own. Just who they're going against, the linebackers too. If, uh, they're probably better against the run, I think, with some of those guys there: Jeremy Banks, uh, Jawan Mitchell, uh, Aaron Beasley are kind of the main three that that get the most playing time. So uh, I'm sure they've stressed stressed that this week with keeping an eye on those guys and and, and you know, knowing what they're doing whether they're blocking, whether they're lead blocking, whether they're they're getting out on, on some play actions, on some bootlegs, and, and trying to get those guys to the ground when they do have the ball is going to be tough enough. And I want to ask you, Patrick, about the receiving core. We've seen those guys make so many big plays, but what was sort of the feel for getting Cedric Tillman back last week? And just what does that do to a passing game that, I mean, from here, I mean, obviously y'all would have a better feel for it, it didn't seem like it was really, you know, missing a beat while he was coming back from injury. You know, the main reason they they didn't miss a beat because Jalen High has just been otherworldly this season. Um, they got Tillman back last week. He had a high ankle sprain, suffered against Akron in, in the third game of the season. Um, and really, I think they played him about 48 snaps against Kentucky last week. I'm not sure he played in the second half just because they were up so big and uh, first came back after a long injury layoff. So, uh, they had him on a little bit of a pitch count there 
Um, and they got him involved early. I think he had catches on the second and third plays of the game. The, the second catch was a, uh, converted to third and three, I think. Uh, the next play, they go to Hyatt for, for the touchdown. So um, he's, you know, he obviously had a big game against Georgia last season. We'll see how healthy he is. Um, this is if this was a game where you, you need to be 100%, this would be the one. Um, obviously, and, and I think what they said on the broadcast last week was he was around 90, 95% of his top speed uh, in practice and some of the GPS trackers. But yeah, this, this receiving core, um, you know, it, it's a three-headed monster and, and you almost have to pick one if you're opposing defense. And uh, Tennessee's offense is, you know, the tempo gets a lot of the attention. I honestly think the, the way they spread the field is what creates these matchups because it basically makes defenses say, okay, are you going to put a seventh guy in the box to stop the run, play one high safety, uh, and give us some of those one-on-one shots and, and we'll take shots down the field, or are you going to do what Kentucky did and play two deep safeties and, and um, and, and run the ball against five and six guys in the box. Uh, um, George, I think Georgia's MO is probably on defense to be aggressive, play man, and, and trust those guys on, on, on the corners and on the islands. I think Tennessee probably would be, if they had to pick either that or what they saw last week with Kentucky or maybe a drop eight team, they'd probably, they'd probably say that. I mean, when Tillman was healthy, um, Pittsburgh sort of played that way. They, they shaded a safety down, played seven in the box, took away the run game. Tillman got like 18 targets in that game. So there's a lot of trust there. Um, uh, with Hendon Hooker and with him. So if he's even close to 100%, he's going to be a, a big part of this game. Obviously, Jalen Hyatt, um, he's just – they've been picking their matchups and just exploiting him and, and causing busts with some of the things that they do um, in terms of formations and motions and things like that. Uh, his speed, obviously, is, is a game changer, and, and he's tough to cover for nickels and safeties. And uh, they do a lot of stuff where they run a couple of formations into the boundary to get a safety on him, and, and that's just a matchup that he's going to win most time. Uh, and then Brew McCoy is the guy they they plugged in. He he's maybe a, an area where this offense has shifted a little bit because they had Javante Payton got hurt early in that Georgia game last year, so Georgia fans probably didn't see him. But he's a guy that's four three four four speed. Uh, I think they probably have Hyatt running maybe some of those deep routes that he got last year. McCoy is not really a burner, uh, but he's he's six three two twenty. He's a little bit like Tim where he's just a big body, big frame, um, and, and he's doesn't need a whole lot of space to to make those contested catches and. Um, and, and he'll he'll chew up some yards afterwards too because he's such a big guy and tough to bring down. So uh, those matchups are going to be interesting with, with the way Georgia plays. Is is Georgia going to stick to what they do and, and play man to man on the outside? Are they going to are they going to try to take away the run with the seventh guy? Do they think they can stop the run with their defensive front linebackers and, and try to keep uh, everything in front of them like Kentucky did? Uh, I think something that the Tennessee's done really well this year is they've seen what they're getting and they just sort of pivot based on what you're what you're doing and. Um, certainly those matchups with those corners. Uh, I know Tilma and, and Darian Kendrick last year was a, was a really good battle. I think Keely Ringo was in there too. And, and some of those, and, and um, we'll see who gets matched up on who, but um, I'll, I'll be interested to see how those corners and, and, and even those safeties, cause they'll have to, they'll have, inevitably have to cover high at some point are going to have to, uh, are going to cover those guys. Cause that's obviously going to be a big part of, of this game. To me, the player probably on both sides of the ball, to watch for Georgia is Keely Ringo. I feel like he is going to determine how this game is played. Obviously, it's not going to be one guy on one side or the other, but he's had moments this year, Patrick, where it's been a little underwhelming. Um, you know, he was the hero uh, for how he played in that national championship game, obviously runs that pick six back for the touchdown that seals the national title. Um, but he's had moments where he's kind of slipped. Um, he had a a play against Florida where he tried to make sort of a diving attempt to either intercept it or kind of reach out and at least get a hand on the ball, wasn't able to get it. 
probably about a 40-yard catch, something like that, on that play um, against Vanderbilt. Dropped what probably would have been at least one pick six. Definitely had a chance at two interceptions. Um, and Kirby Smart was asked about Keeley earlier this week, and he was like, that's, you know, those plays that you notice, he said, that's the nature of that position. He said, you know, there's 65, 70 other plays he makes, you know, whatever the number is in a game that you don't think twice about. And, uh, you know, he gave his confidence in, in what he thinks about Keeley. But there's no uh, denying that these guys are going to be tested. Keeley and Kamari Laster, the other starting corner as well. I think it's going to be a situation where they, where Tennessee, uh, you know, lines up and Georgia honors Tennessee's ability to run. Because every time this week, even going back to the post game after the Florida game, when Kirby was asked a couple times about Tennessee, you know, people were asking, you know, they're so pass happy. And he was like, guys, y'all got to understand they can run the ball really, really well. And, you know, I, I think that, you know, I don't think that was coach speak. I think he does understand that's an element of Tennessee's game that uh, can hurt Georgia to, to your point that if you decide you're going to, you know, drop eight and, and put, give a situation where you're just providing so much running room, I think the volunteers would take full advantage. So I think this is a game where I want to see how, Really, the secondary as a whole, you know, Malachi Starks is a true freshman at safety that has played well, but he's had true freshman mistakes. And that's just the nature of, you know, learning the game. And um, he, he bit on a play against Florida that led to a 78-yard touchdown. You know, he is a guy that's not going to play perfect because you can't expect somebody to do that in their first year. I mean, this was a guy, obviously, that was playing high school ball, playing on Friday nights this time last year so. Um, but to me, it's all about the secondary, how the corners play. And uh, if Keely Ringo is able to kind of take advantage of, of what's going to be a very big test for a guy that, you know, we could be talking about in April, could wind up being a, one of the top players drafted. Yeah, and it's it's not just coach speak because Josh Heupel and, and Tennessee's offensive coordinator, Alex Gillish, will say it too, that that's sort of the bread and butter of, of Tennessee's offense is running the ball, which – uh, we, we haven't even gotten to the, some of the discussion about how the trenches are going to be won in this game. Those are going to be all-out wars. And I think we're, what, 28 minutes in? We haven't even talked about you know Nolan Smith being out, which, I mean, how big of a blow do you think that is for Georgia in terms of their run defense? Obviously, you know, pass defense is the guy that, that you know, Georgia could have used as a spy for, for Hendon Hooker with his ability to get out and scramble and make plays. What, what's the impact of, of that one going to be for Georgia, do you think? I think it's huge from a number of facets. One, I, I really thought <laughs> I really thought that Nolan was probably having his best game of the season against Florida. He'd gotten off to a really quick start, gets hurt. He'd kind of reached out with one arm to kind of make a tackle, and I think he the the play where he tore his pec. Um, not only is it you know a fact that um, I think he would have done a very good job in in rushing Hendon um, with being able also to to play against the run, but He's just a leader. He's played a lot of snaps during his time at Georgia. He's a guy that I think those other guys, you know, counted on, you know, knew that he would be out there. And uh, to Nolan's credit, um, Kirby Smart talked about it on Tuesday night. He's still out there on the sidelines. He's still coaching guys up. He's he's not, you know, for all intents and purposes, he's not abandoning the team because he can't play. He's just kind of playing sort of like a player coach kind of role because he can't play. But I think it's a significant loss, and they're going to need Robert Bill, who's a guy that had to step up last year when Adam Anderson was suspended and was no longer on the team. And to Robert Bill's credit, he did. He wound up leading the team in sacks. Uh, they need him to step up. They need Chaz Chambliss, another outside linebacker, to step up. And they need some of the uh, defensive linemen, probably 
more than anybody, Michael Williams, who's a five-star that has shown flashes and I think has played pretty well in the whole uh, in his true freshman season. But, yeah, I think Nolan is a tremendous loss. It would have hurt no matter when it happened in the year, um, but to have it happen when it did, um, right before the Tennessee game, I think it's crucial, and uh, it's going to be something to watch. Yeah, and, and Tennessee's offensive line, I would say that's probably one of the biggest differences in this year's team compared to last year, where you go in a game like this, you're wondering how they're going to hold up. And um, now going into this game, you know, I think there's a confidence internally, and, and there's a confidence from having watched them that you know, they can go out there and hold their own and, and do some good things. You know, they've, they've run the ball pretty well. I think going into last week, they had more at a higher rushing average per game and per carry against SEC opponents than they did uh, in non-conference games. And they played two MAC teams in an FCS defense. So, um, you know, Darnell Wright at, at right tackles made himself a lot of money this season. They had four starters back. Left tackle was a big question mark. Those guys have they've kind of gone back and forth between a couple guys with some injuries there. But those guys have stepped up. And, and I would have to say that's probably one of the biggest differences is uh, I think Tennessee gave up like 40-something sacks last season. and now they give up sacks a lot of times it's from in and hooker just holding the ball too much because there's nobody open downfield. So um, that, that's, you know, and then on the flip side, Tennessee defensive line been really good against the run. George is obviously going to try to run the ball. Uh, there's maybe not that superstar in George's backfield, but I think there's a lot of superstars on that offensive line uh, just from watching them a little bit. A lot of guys that like to uh, play mean and, and, and put guys in the dirt. And that's going to be, that's going to be a, that's probably gonna be the biggest quote unquote war in this game is, Tennessee's defensive line and, and linebackers against Georgia's offensive line, and Georgia tries to run the ball. Very interesting coaching matchup between Stacey Searles and Rodney Garner. Those two Auburn yeah. guys; those are two guys that yeah. have been in this conference for a whole, you know, a whole lot of years at this point. Uh, yeah, so, yeah. Go ahead, Patrick. Yeah, and, and Garner's done a great job. I think uh, you know, Mari Thomas is maybe the guy to watch on the inside. Uh, his defensive tackle, he's a former top 100 guy, has really kind of blossomed the season and. Uh, when, when Georgia does throw, Byron Young is, is probably Tennessee's best pass rusher off the edge. He's a guy that uh, sort of an interesting story was working at a Dollar General in uh, Columbus, Georgia. Okay. Had been out of football, had been out of high school for a while, then saw a flyer for uh, walk-on trials at Georgia Military College. Ended up there, um, played a season. They didn't play in 2020, but he got a bunch of SEC offers over, uh, over his practice film because they were practicing that fall. Now I think he's uh, five or six sacks. They want to have sacks against Kentucky last week. So he's a guy that that's a threat off the edge and probably the biggest name, I guess, uh, on the Tennessee defense. There's not a lot of big names, this group, and obviously they've had their ups and downs, but um, they're coming off probably their best game of the season against Kentucky, who has limitations offensively, but you know still has a, a quarterback that's projected to go pretty high in the draft and a running back that has put up a lot of yards. So, um, yeah, both the matchups in the trenches I think are going to be uh, key and, and you always hear we always hear these coaches say it's a line of scrimmage league and line of scrimmage is going to turn determine this uh, this game but certainly it, it, I mean, we, we always say it's coach speak but it always you know ends up bringing true doesn't it and certainly will ring true this in this game as well so let's each uh, take a moment and sort of uh, before we wrap this podcast up just talk about our expectations what we think is going to happen and and for each team I obviously talk about Georgia and Patrick you can talk about Tennessee what needs to go right and then we can give our predictions. And, and I'll start for Georgia. I think it's just a matter of even not necessarily scoring on these early possessions, but they have got to avoid turnovers. It's been the situation that has opened the door 
for some of these close games. Kent State was only a 17-point game. I think Georgia might have been like a 43, 44-point favorite, and it was because of turnovers. They had three turnovers in probably about the first 17, 18 minutes of that game. And there was never a situation where you thought Kent State you know, was going to pull the upset, uh, but it was obviously a whole lot closer than people expected. Missouri, Missouri was in position to win that game, and a lot of it was because of two first-quarter turnovers. Georgia... Uh, was had a, a really off night on offense, and you took away a couple of possessions that you desperately needed. Um, and, you know, credit Stetson Bennett and those guys for how they finished that game because they, their backs very much were against the wall on the road. Um, to me, it's all about holding on to the ball, um, you know, just maintaining. I think this is an offense that does a good job of taking advantage of early possession, scoring points, and, and sort of building momentum because, again, you know, they – Got out to a 28-3 lead last week. Again, turnovers open the door to make things interesting. To me, that's the key. And then uh, defensively, it's just not allowing explosive plays. You know, we talked earlier in this podcast about Tennessee's lack of time of possession because they can score so quickly. And, and Georgia's defense has been really good this year, but they have given up explosive plays here and there and also had situations where, you know, quite frankly, if the talent they were playing was a little better, they would have given up more explosive plays. I think about what would have been probably about an 89-yard touchdown would have been for Vanderbilt and the wide receiver, I mean, flat out dropped the ball. I mean, it's a situation where Georgia has gotten lucky a few times along this year. I do think this is a good defense, but Tennessee's not the kind of opponent that you can allow opportunities to strike um, and, and get out of it with, you know, with a lead or – are still staying in contention. Um, I, I'll wrap this up, my part, uh, just by saying I think Georgia wins. I think it's going to be super close. I say Georgia wins 38-34. I would not at all be surprised if Tennessee came into Athens and was able to pull this off, but I think that Georgia's experience on offense, I think, um, really suits them well. I think that this crowd is going to be fired up. I do think noise is going to be a factor, and uh, – I think that Georgia's tight ends are going to be relied on really heavily. And to me, again, the key is Keely Ringo in this secondary. They have got to get stops. And if they get an opportunity to, say, make an interception or cause a turnover, they have to take advantage. Yeah, Jordan, I think uh, I'll, I'll start with some of Tennessee's keys. And, and most of them are going to be not on the offense, as odd as that sounds, because this offense, I think they're just they're just going to score. This is what they do. Um, they'll find ways, depending on how Georgia comes out and plays. You know, Tennessee's gone into these games. You know, Alabama had a really good defense statistically uh, in terms of their talent. Um, you know, Kentucky went into that game ranked second in the in the SEC in total defense and scoring defense. LSU felt good about its defense. It, it didn't matter. I mean, Tennessee scored, I think, 174 points in its four SEC games. So um, I think the little things are going to make the big difference. And for Tennessee, I think on defense, it, it, it's going to be what it always is with this group, and it's going to be turnovers and situational defense. Um, and, and the best way to illustrate that is um, obviously last week against Kentucky, they got three turnovers. Um, but look at the LSU and Florida games. You know, Florida went for fourth down six times in that game, got five of them, scored 33 points, had, shoot, I think it was over 600. It was a lot of yards. Uh, close to 600 yards. Um, LSU, a couple weeks later, went for three fourth downs um, late in the uh, or in the first half, and Tennessee stopped all of them. One was in the red zone, and two were around midfield, and, um, and that game got out of hand for LSU. So 
those are going to be big situations. You know, looking back at this game last year, Josh Eiffel's mentioned a few times this week, Stetson Bennett able, being able to, to extend some drives with his legs. They're wary of that. Um, or if you get a third and six and he, he, he escapes and third down was a, a real problem for Tennessee last season. They've been really good this, this season, you know, Kentucky was like two of 13 or something like that. So um, those are going to be big. And I think special teams, Tennessee's special teams were kind of eh, not very good in the first month of the season, but been a lot better lately. Um, D Williams is, is a threat on punts, returning punts. Um, and their kickoff coverage team has, has been pretty good for Tennessee and, and can't, you know, can they make a big play? Can either team make a big play? So um, in terms of prediction, um, I, I might lean, honestly, you know, I didn't pick Tennessee to beat Alabama. I thought that would be a game kind of like you described where it goes back and forth, a lot of ebbs and flows down to the end. I thought Bryce Young in the end would be the difference. He almost was. Um, and then it came down to two kicks at the end. I could see this game being uh, the same, but um I picked Tennessee to go nine and three going into the season and they have surpassed even that expectation. So um, I'm not about to, honestly, I'm not about to bet against him hooker. I mean, he's just playing so well. Um, his team is following him and he's, uh, I think he's the guy that that's been the difference in all these big games for Tennessee. And I think he could be um, in this game as well. So if I was picking somebody here on Wednesday afternoon, I'd, I'd probably pick Tennessee, but like I said, like, like you, I think it would be a high scoring game that that'll go down to the wire. And um, obviously if it, that's the case, I think, everybody would be pretty happy because it'll be a great game to watch. And um, that was something that maybe got lost in, in all the celebrating on Tennessee's end from the Alabama game, which is how just incredible that game was just to witness. Absolutely. I mean, I think we're going to get our money's worth. And uh, when we have interviews for uh, on the Georgia side tonight, we're going to talk to uh, Georgia kicker Jack Podlesny. Uh, he very well may determine who wins this game and, and the kicker on the Tennessee side as well. I, I feel like it's going to be that kind of game. Um, well, Patrick, let's get ready to wrap this thing up. A any stories, anything you guys want to plug this week as we uh, get ready and, and get a little bit closer to game day? Well, we are we have so much stuff, as we always do every week. Um, some, some of our staple stuff is, is always really good. We'll have uh, I'll have a matchups uh, sort of column going in-depth on, on some of the stuff we talked about here. Uh, that'll probably be Friday at this point. <laughs> it's sort of getting backed up because there's so much going on, but – um, that's one of the big things. And we'll have our, our, our staff predictions, our score predictions will come out on Friday as well. Um, and certainly we'll, I think we're doing some cross stuff with you guys. We'll see. Um, I know you've, you've sent me some questions. I'm going to get those back to you. They're going to be excellent answers, uh, to excellent questions. So, uh, yeah, and it'll be, uh, it'll be a fun few days here. I'm sure maybe people are nervous and you know, fans are nervous about what might happen, but, uh, gotta love having a big game like this. And certainly this is, what do we call? Are we calling this the game of the century? What, what do we need a name for this one? Don't yeah, we? I don't know. We had to. We got to get more creative. There's got to be something That's else. Right. Yeah, you know, they've thrown that one around a few times over the years. Yeah, I agree. Well, all right, we will wrap that up again. Thanks, Patrick, and, and everybody. At goes go Vols two four seven. Appreciate uh, you guys working with us. As Patrick mentioned, we're gonna have some good content coming out uh, of this uh, week and get ready for Saturday. So thanks to everybody who's watching live, listening live. Thanks to everybody who has listened to this after the fact. Uh, and until next time, take care. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or 
I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 